thank you very much for coming. We are here to talk about the Beethoven piano sonatas in general, in particular about the first four sonatas that I will play for you tomorrow evening, and I'm sure many of you will be there. I hope so. Mm. It's very difficult to talk about music. It's really not my métier. Music should be played and listened to, but it's better to, to try to put a few ideas into words, especially today when musical education is not what it used to be or what it should be. And I'm sure many of you have played these sonatas professionally or, or as music lovers, but it's really more as an exception to the rule. So I hope even those of you who are intimately familiar with these works, you will excuse me if, if I will say a few things that you probably know very well, but maybe not everybody does. Beethoven wrote 32 piano sonatas. This is an astonishing number, but it's an even more astonishing quality. Next to the genre of the string quartet, of which he wrote 17, the piano sonata is the other form or genre of music that runs through Beethoven's life like a red line, like a red thread. He was an astonishing pianist, a great virtuoso, and he could play these compositions like nobody else. There are many witnesses to this, real witnesses and, and false witnesses. <laughs> mm. One should be always a little bit cautious with witnesses. I mean, we know that Schindler, who had been a close friend and a secretary to Beethoven, uh, he had given us certain opinions and, and witnesses which we should be very suspicious about. Uh, another source is Beethoven's favorite pupil, Karl Czerny, whom many of you will know through his terrible etudes. <laughs> they are very useful, but uh, probably to, to learn scales and, and passages. But anyway, probably Czerny was a, was a magnificent musician, but um, contrary to many of my colleagues, I judge his witness opinions with, with great caution. Uh, he had left us two editions about the correct performance of Beethoven's keyboard works, subscribing all the movements with metronome marks and, and detailed instructions. These metronome marks are 20 years later completely different. I mean, now, which journey should I believe? And anyway, rather than listening to witnesses, one should really try to understand Beethoven, this unique genius and this creative mind, and study his scores, study his autographs, his manuscripts. Unfortunately, 
of the 32 piano sonatas, only 15 have manuscripts. The, all the others have been lost. In those cases, we are left to the first editions, which were, however, carefully supervised by Beethoven, so they are rather trustworthy. And basically, let's listen to our own musical instincts. Now, I played for you the beginning of the F minor sonata, the very first of the 32, opus 2, number 1. This was the exposition of it. And immediately, we have to imagine this young genius from Bonn, from a, which was not the capital of West Germany those days, but it was a, it was a small provincial city. And he arrived to the great city of Vienna, which was then already the, the musical capital of the world. And one of his great patrons, Count Waldstein, later he dedicated his famous C major sonata opus 53, you know, you know. this is Waldstein. Uh, so he sent the young Beethoven to Vienna that you will go there and you receive from Haydn's hands the spirit of Mozart. Mozart had been dead, you know, he died in 1791, and Beethoven arrives in about 1793, 94 to Vienna, uh, and starts to take lessons with Haydn. He dedicated these Opus II sonatas to, to Joseph Haydn. The dedication reads uh, Josef Haydn gewidmet, dedicated to Josef Haydn. It's not a very uh, gratifying, not a very polite dedication. Haydn was actually mortally offended by this. He wanted something like from his eternally grateful pupil or <laughs> devoted uh, disciple. But Beethoven was not a grateful pupil. He very notably said that from from Haydn you couldn't learn a thing. I mean, this is due to Beethoven's revolutionary nature, especially the young Beethoven. I don't think that the, the aging Beethoven would have said a thing like that. Uh, and you just have to observe these sonatas or the whole output of Beethoven, that this is just completely untrue. Uh, he learned a great deal from Haydn. Maybe not at the actual composition lessons, but by studying Haydn's pieces and, and his unique compositions. Um, one of the main things that he learned from him is to build a work from small cells, from small molecules, motives. Like, this is just a small motive, no? F minor is the tonal tonality, and this is the tonic chord. So there is this. This is called the Mannheimer Rakete, a Mannheim rocket. In this time, Mannheim, in another small German town, was another great center of music, and composers like 
Stamitz and Dittersdorf. I mean, very good composers, not great ones. But these are the Mannheim masters, and they invented this uh, kind of stylistic element, which is called the Mannheimer rocket. But I'm talking about Haydn here, but you probably know this. So this is the great G minor symphonies finale of, of Mozart. This is another Mannheimer rocket. Um, however, I feel quite confident to say that, that Beethoven worshipped Mozart, but they have almost nothing in common. But he has a lot in common with Haydn, whom he said that he, he learned nothing of. <laughs> um, Mozart is, is a unique genius who, as uh, somebody said, I think it was Joseph Krips, that Beethoven goes to heaven, Mozart comes from heaven. <laughs> and Mozart is somebody whom I would be very careful to talk about because he's such a, such a superhuman, unique genius. Uh, Haydn and Beethoven are, to me, just as important, but they are, if anything, very human. They are, I mean, we are among them, and they are the greatest human beings, and I, I, I think they are very, very generous. Uh, therefore, there are more just ways to, to interpret a Beethoven sonata than there is a, 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 of a Mozart piano concerto. I think he, he is not a very generous composer, Mozart, because you have to find the golden mean, and you, you cannot go an ounce to the right or to the left, you are immediately wrong, and then Mozart revolts. So, the revolutionary spirit of Beethoven comes through immediately in this F minor sonata. F minor is a very unusual tonality. It's with four flats, those of you who can read music, probably most of you. In those days, the composer wrote not, not just for himself, for his own concerts, but for a circle of, of amateurs who, who played. And music publishing was, was targeted towards this, this audience in Vienna. Now, among Mozart's sonatas, and this shows that Mozart was a very pragmatic composer, we don't find anything as remote as, as four flats. No pieces in F minor, no pieces in A flat major. Maybe because he thought, yes, uh, it's not good for publishing, it's not good for amateurs. We have to stay with simpler tonalities. Now, Beethoven immediately starts with an F minor piece because he's thinking of the amateurs, but first and foremost, th these are pieces for himself. It, he was playing at the, at the saloons there and, and in, the, in the palaces in Vienna, and he really wanted to make a great impression. Uh, now let's play a little more because I have to tell you a funny story of one of my great colleagues, I won't mention the name, who thought that you have to bring music to the working classes, and he, he gave a, 
a lecture recital in Milan in one of the factories talking about Schoenberg's piano music. <laughs> and there was, a, there was a table with a microphone and, and the piano, and he starts talking about Schoenberg, and after three minutes, a deep voice from the audience says, Don't talk, play! <laughs> and then he went to the piano and started to play one of the late Schoenberg pieces after one minute, rather talk. <laughs> so, so, anyway. Uh, so, let I play again the exposition of the F minor sonata. The first stop, there is a fermata, that means it stops. Beethoven's language is a rhetorical language. I feel that he often recites and, and talks and speaks more than sings. Uh, now, this first movement is simply marked allegro, which is a tempo ordinario, and a proper and ordinary tempo. However, it's alla breve. It's marked a, a, four, a cut four, so you are counting two. And therefore, it's a, it's a quick allegro. It's not, you are not counting one, two, three, four, but one, two, one, two, one, two. And of course, it starts with an upbeat. That's very important. I hope it's understandable. It's very important that we interpret music, that you as a listener, even if you don't have a score, you have to hear the piece starts with an upbeat. It's often not understandable in, in certain interpretations. Uh, so anyway... <laughs> It's very interesting that compared to Haydn and Mozart, Beethoven is the first composer who, who gives us fairly precise instructions concerning the tempo. He says already here, you know, allegro and alla breve, and he gives exact dynamics, piano in this case, which is not pianissimo, so it's not whispering, but it's a, it's a soft speaking voice. And then after this fermata, he goes into the bass. This was a transition, like a bridge, between two themes. I mean, now comes the second theme which is... Uh, now this is quite incredible. I mean, you would not hear anything like this in Haydn or Mozart because the bass is E-flat and against this come F-flat against the E-flat. It's a, a big crash. It's a huge dissonance. And uh, if you look at this theme... And uh, 
the one is an, an ascending Mannheimer Rakete, and the other one is descending, and it's basically two themes that are closely related. And you, you must feel the, the character of, of this music. The character is also something very important in all music, but Beethoven revolutionized this because each, each movement, each piece has, has its distinct character. This is agitated. It's, it's anxious. I mean, I mean, that's how I feel it. I, sometimes you hear this sonata played like this. I mean, it's nonsense, but you hear it. <laughs> Because it's not alla breve and it's not revolutionary and it's not. But as I say, I have no written proof that this is an agitated movement. But uh, I stand for it, and that's why we are here. You know, an interpreter has to have a certain civilian courage. <laughs> also in society, you have to sometimes step forward and say that this is what I feel. Maybe you, you agree with me, you don't agree with me. Anyway, that's how it is. <laughs> All right, so then let's go on. full of sforzandi. These are not my sforzandi, but Beethoven really marks each sforzando. That's, that's an accent and an emphasis. However, sforzando can mean many things. A sforzando in, in forte is something completely different from sforzando within a piano territory. And when I hear... This la da da la da da la da da, the sort of breathless qualities. It's all it's driving driving forward all the time, and then also here subito piano. You know, in later music, composers often write crescendi, decrescendi, and that's how you reach a higher or a lower dynamic level. But with Beethoven, it's very important. If, if he wants to achieve that with a crescendo, he really writes it. And in this case, and very often, you will see, he writes a subito piano. So a, a sudden change of dynamics, not a gradual one. So, then comes the... This is the third and closing theme, marked espressivo by Beethoven. Again, you don't see that in, in the whole output of Mozart. Never. Maybe he means it, but he doesn't, he doesn't mark it. And many people feel, and I, I agree with that, when Beethoven writes espressivo, he wants the music to be a tiny bit a shade slower. So over... You see these, these offbeats here. Yeah. 
fortissimo. Again, we, we never seen in Haydn, in Haydn very occasionally, but Mozart's dynamics are, they stop at forte. So we, you already saw great extremes here. Now this was the exposition. Now comes the, the development section is the middle section of a sonata movement, as many of you know. But, and this is where a master shows if he's a master. This is a, the working out of, of, of the motives, of the material, and, and it's the most dramatic section of a, of a sonata movement. So he, we reached from F, F minor A flat major, which is the, the parallel key of F minor, and he goes the reprise, the return. Um, and it returns triumphantly in fortissimo, as opposed to the beginning of the piece, which was piano, because he shows the, this theme in a new light after. And you heard before the preparation of the return. This is, C is the dominant, and then Again, a crushing dissonance. It almost hurts. It's like a little knife in the back. And uh, he just takes the tail of the motif. Only this one. And uh, here we should talk about the imagination of Beethoven, this great virtuoso, great pianist, but he thinks in terms of, of an orchestra already. You can hear that, I mean, that's the way I always try to associate. I never hear a piano, but I want to hear different instruments. Like here is a clarinet, a flute. There, there are two instruments, not one, and you always have to listen to it like that. Uh, also, the string quartet is always present in Beethoven. That's what he was always aiming at. Uh, but it took, took him a further five or six years when he, he dared to publish his Opus 18 quartets, because again, you cannot say that you, you think nothing of Haydn. He knew exactly that after Haydn's string quartets, he really had to put down something extraordinary to, to publish it. All right. 
So I think that sums up the, the first movement. Let's just show the end of it. Um, In, in, a, in a very dramatic fortissimo. Uh, big rhetorical questions now. And huge for, for Zandi in fortissimo. They are very strong accents. Second movement comes in F major, adagio. It's quite unusual. We have four movement structure here, and all the four movements are in the tonality of F. This is something Beethoven then uses again in the Pastoral Sonata, Opus 28, or in the String Quartet, Opus 59, Number 2. But, but it's very seldom, because tonality is something that composers like, like to play with and to give, give us listeners a sense of variety. Uh, Beethoven still achieves a great variety with different characters, but all the movements are in, in F. Uh, Adagio is a real slow movement. Again, I come here to the Haydnian connection because Haydn has many slow movements marked Adagio, whereas Mozart almost never. Mozart's so-called slow movements are andante, andante con moto, andantino, and andante comes from the Italian word andare, going, walking. So whenever you hear somebody play an andante very slowly, then tell them they are wrong. <laughs> because it must move. An adagio, however, is a real slow movement. Again, starts with an upbeat, and then you count three. Three, one, two, three, one. And this is, by Beethovenian standards, a rather deliberately conventional slow movement. Uh, because the other movements are anything but conventional. So he really wanted to not to not to shock Haydn too much here, probably. Uh, and it's 
full of these feminine cadences, you know. This is a feminine cadence. This is not nothing uh, against females here, by the way. This is not, not sexual harassment or whatever. <laughs> but this is called a, a feminine cadence. Um, um, so this is a very, very beautiful cantabile singing slow movement. Uh, but after that, we, we come back to... The, the key of F minor for, for a minuet and trio. And this is again quite sinister. It starts with an upbeat, as usual. This is very mysterious. This is not music that is not not obvious because it's so subdued. And again, usually four-part harmonies. This this could be thinking of of string quartet sonorities. And all again for Zandi on the dissonant tones. On the he puts Sforzando on, on that appoggiatura. Um, and comes in the second part. Suddenly, an explosion in in unison, which is most unexpected and, and fortissimo. So, for the first time in the movement, and this unison, like if if he would say, "Now, enough of this gentle business," and so. Zandi, and then a subito piano, as I told you, a sudden drop of dynamics. And then this is very spooky, this final cadence. And then comes the trio. Light and shadow, we had the darkness of the trio, and now comes light. And this is beautifully uh, written in two-part counterpoint. Now change.
again, we have this chords of six. This is one of Beethoven's favorite devices. You hear it in later music, like in the first concerto. For example, so... Capo, then the, after the trio, the minuet returns. Uh, representatives of the early music movement like to repeat the minuet twice, the second time. I, I, I cannot stand that, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, to me, it's, they say their source is the, the piano school of Daniel Gottlob Türk. This is another, another Czerny to me. <laughs> if Daniel Gottlob Türk said that you have to repeat after the trio, the minuet, again, I mean, to me, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I feel like we have two legs or two arms and we cannot have three. So, anyway, uh, now the finale of, of the F minor sonata is extraordinary because it's alla breve, so you count in two, and it's marked prestissimo. It's, it's really extreme, and, and it's a visionary movement. It's one of those perpetuum mobile riding pieces. Uh, you can think of, of Goethe's Erl König in the Schubert version. <laughs> Today it's, it's quite shocking because this is all. It's, it's always cooking in, in the inferno. And where I just stopped, there comes the, the most lyrical movement, part of this movement, and it's very beautiful. Suddenly, like um, like an oasis of lyricism in in, some, in a very dramatic scenery. Uh, but again, going back to Haydn, when the, uh, in the first movement, if you think of this. 
and then everything is united. So this is, this is how Beethoven really learned a lot from Haydn. So, the, still a few words about the development section of this f- movement, because it's like a, like a new piece, like a... Uh, Interesting also the the phrase length uh, that it's never two plus two or four plus four, but like we have here phrases which are ten bars long. So symmetry versus asymmetry. That's again something very Haydn invented, and then he returns from from this island start of stuff threatening this motive again espressivo Turn. And then again, uh, that's it, it goes, it goes down to, to hell. There is no, no release and there is no, no hope. It's very, very interesting, a very revolutionary sonata. Uh, 